Coming up, I just want to um, just thank the uh, the praise team, the the band, the people who do the sound and multimedia. They just put so much effort and time in, and really, really appreciate them for doing that. Um, for for so many years, uh, especially the the people up here on stage. Um, have been together and, and, and serving together and working together. And if you, you've been in churches all your life, you know how difficult it is sometimes for a worship team. You'd think it would be easy to really get along and love each other and, you know, be humble and, and sometimes not. But I can say for the people up here, they've been together for so long. They have such a deep love for each other and, and it shows in, in how they, um, they lead worship. And, and so it's been a real blessing for me to be a part of this church for so long and to watch that. Um, before, I, before we ro- jump into the sermon, I also want to encourage you uh, to come to our, um, our event this, this, uh, after the second service, the end of Summer Bash, from like 1 to 4 over at the Coobs. It's on, it's, it's on Mason Montgomery Road. It's right in your family news bulletin, so the address is right there. Um, right on Mason Montgomery, right down the road here. But it's a great time to just hang out and get to know people. Um, there are so many people who have been uh, coming over the summer. For, you just started coming over the summer. Maybe some, some people just started coming today. I know four or five people, even this morning, uh, families came this morning for the first time in first service. And I, I, more than anything else, I really like to just get to know people and connect with people and get to know people's names. So even if you're here for the first time, this is a great thing to be involved in because we're just sitting around eating and uh, and enjoying each other's company and you get to build relationships. So I really want to encourage you um, if you're here for the first, second or third time, or if you've been here for years to come and join us uh, and you ha- you can leave whenever you want, come at one, eat. If you have to leave at two or three, it's totally fine. I understand people's schedules, but it's just great to have everyone there and uh, enjoy that time of fellowship. Um, this morning, we're going to continue our series between two worlds. And you know, I chose that topic or that title, Between Two Worlds, because it really, really identifies what we're talking about here. Um, struggling through the, the world in which we live sometimes, trying to understand how we as followers of Christ fit into that world that's ever-changing, this constantly changing world. And, and Peter um, in First Peter, really lays out the distinction between how we should handle things as believers in Jesus Christ and maybe how the world handles things. And this morning we're going to talk about trials and suffering, and Peter lays out how Christians should respond to the trials that go on in their lives, to the suffering that go on in their lives. Because here's the reality. As people are leaving first service, you know, they were sharing with me different, different thoughts and uh, just saying, I really appreciate this or I really appreciate that. It's so true. People have gone through loss recently and experienced some devastating difficulties in their lives. But, you know, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have hope. And I was talking to someone as they were leaving who had lost someone recently, and, and, and she was saying that that's really what it, what it comes down to, that, you know, we live in a, a spiritual world, and there are spiritual battles going on all around us. And, and God will continually, always help us through the challenges that we face in life. And we were just, just talking about the difference between facing, you're, you're a human being in this room. So whether you are a Christian, follower of Jesus Christ, or not, you are going to face trials. You are going to face difficulties. You are going to suffer in this world. The only question is, how do you deal with it? 
Because if your answer is it's not fair, um, let me break the bad news to you right now. This is going to really shock a lot of you. But um, if you say, well, it's not fair, the world's not fair, you're right, it isn't. That's all I have to say. It isn't fair. It isn't fair. Things that happen to you in your life, things that you go through in your life, you know, you say, well, it's not fair. Well, you're right. I mean, things in this world are never going to be fair. But we have a God that we can go to gives us hope of a future. It gives us hope in this world and gives us a way, gives us a way to walk through the challenges and the difficulties that we have in life. Because we're going to struggle regardless if we say, if we deny there's a God, you're still going to suffer. The only difference is you're going to suffer alone. And you're not going to understand why you're suffering. And you're going to be left with the frustration that the world's not fair, that everyone's against me, and this is wrong, and I can't understand it. And that's all you're going to be left with. No purpose in your suffering. Peter says there is purpose in our suffering. And here's what he says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Uh, don't miss the words here, overjoy, rejoice, you know, blessed. Um, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of the glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Just what I was talking about. And if you, it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Regardless of what we go through, we need, to, we, need to, we need to focus on and hold on to our faithful creator and continue to do what is good. Not get bitter, not get so bitter and angry that we shake our fist at God and deny God and get angry at everything else and become, you know, people, there's, there are certain things that happen when people go through struggles in life. They become bitter and angry with the world and everything around them. There's a, this kind of hateful spirit that goes on in their lives and they get consumed with the frustration of it all. And God says, you don't need to do that. Again, what did we say in the very beginning? We are aliens and strangers in this world. This world is not our home. Our ultimate home is in heaven. And we have a hope because of that. We have a hope, not only in this world, that God will walk us through whatever challenges we have to face, that he will not leave us or forsake us, but we also have the hope of an eternal destiny, a home that we are going to, where we will all come back together. We will all be together. And when we will see each other in that place and we rejoice before Jesus Christ in that place, we have a hope. This place is not our home. Regardless, if you live 125 years, it is, a, it is dust in the wind. It's a short period of time when it comes to eternity. And God says, you're going to live eternally with me so you can have hope. In his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, Tim Keller wrote, you don't really know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Until Jesus Christ is all that you have. I don't know about you, but I, I personally, and I've never met anyone who I think differs from this, but I don't usually grow through all the good times in my life. 
And all the good things that happen to me, I don't, I don't usually spiritually grow. I don't really emotionally grow. I don't, I don't become wiser and stronger and, and, and more vibrant in my faith through the good times. It's usually through the challenging times. The good times, those seasons, those good seasons of life are not a, a time of giant spiritual growth in my personal life. Much of my passion, people ask me, why do you get so excited? You get excited over your toast in the morning kind of thing. And, and, and I do. I'm, I'm passionate about Jesus Christ. I'm passionate about my faith. I'm passionate about um, investing in the lives of other people. I have a passion for God. But I'll be honest with you. Much of my passion, much of what makes me who I am, came from my childhood and the challenges that I faced when I was younger. I'm able to empathize and sympathize with people more than I would if I, if I just grew up in a situation that was just, wow, everything was just peachy keen all the time. I, you know, everything was perfect. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't horrible. And there are people in this room who I, my, my background is like Disney World compared to what you've been through. But it makes us many times who we are. The person that you see, the person that you have a relationship and a friendship with here with me is, was made up of challenges, not only in my childhood. I think I faced more challenges as an adult than I did as a child. And all of those things have helped me become the person that God wants me to be if I allow him to work through my, le- my life. So Peter comes back to this theme. If you think about it, if, you re- if you've been reading through First Peter, he comes back to this theme over and over and over again in this letter. He comes back to it. He's trying to teach us how we should react to suffering okay how do we do that in a godly way he wants us to do it in a godly way so when we suffer because we're going to when we face trials because we are going to when we face difficulties and hurt and pain because we're going to a lot okay a lot how do we handle it in a godly way this morning i want to share four lessons that we can learn from the trials that we go through in our life number one our suffering and trials uh, deeper, deepen our character. They deepen our character. They help us become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. This is a, this, this is a, a, a message the modern church needs to hear. Suffering <clears throat> is a part of the Christian life. It just is. I'd love, I'd love to get up here and uh, wax on about all the, you know, niceties and everyone leaves feeling kind of, you know, but the reality is suffering is a part of the Christian life. Suffering is actually a part of everyone's life. And there's different ways to handle it. And Peter's showing Christians, this is the way you should handle it. This is, this is, again, a message for the modern church because believers in other parts of the world, they get this better than we do. They really do. I was reading some different articles. I'm going to read you one of the articles that, that, that I read in the last, uh, last few weeks. It says, Western Syria and eastern Iraq have been infiltrated by an extremist group known as ISIS who are using brutal force against men, women, and children. The fallout is devastating. Thousands of innocent people, mostly Christians, are dead, and hundreds of thousands more are on the run with only the clothes on their backs. Water and electricity have been cut off, and every Christian church in the region has been burned to the ground. And I want you to, we, we read that and we think, well, yeah, it's over there. What if, what if I got up this morning and we came and our church was burned to the ground, and I told you we were standing out in the parking lot, every church 
in Mason, in Westchester, in Lebanon, in King's District, whatever, has been burned to the ground. Everyone. Reports of mass beheadings of, the entire, of entire families of, of Christ followers, even children, have been confirmed by numerous news agencies stationed inside the region. <clears throat> I also heard on the radio two days ago that Christians are being taxed. There's a specific tax, tax that these extremists will put on Christians, just Christians. And if you don't pay the tax, they kill you. So you either pay the tax, they'll, they'll run you into the ground financially, or they'll end up killing you. So it's in this context that the words that he writes, dear friends, are written. He says, dear friends. This is important. The, 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 the phrase actually means those who are deeply loved by God. That's significant. That's truly significant. Here's why. The Bible never wastes a word. So he doesn't say, dear friends, it's kind of an intro like, I was, you, know, you know, dear so-and-so. I don't really think about why I write dear so-and-so to tell you the truth. He does. Peter has a reason why he writes dear friends. The Bible doesn't waste a word. The key, it's the key to everything Peter is trying to, to tell us here. It means that God deeply and significantly loves us. But we are still going to go through suffering in our lives. He is not going to eliminate suffering from our lives. People say, if God loves people, why doesn't he, does he just eliminate all suffering? Well, I'm not going to get into great detail, but um, I say all the time, God's not going to stop every bullet. And the reason that's not going to happen is because in order for God to wipe out suffering, he'd have to wipe out sin. In order for us to, him to wipe out sin at this point, he'd have to wipe every single one of us out because every one of us sins. Every one of us caused suffering in someone else's life. We are not perfect beings yet. We will, make, we will have a glorified body when we, we're with him in heaven, but not yet. So we are going to suffer. God loves us profoundly and significantly, but that doesn't mean we're not going to suffer. It's often hard for us to make this connection because it's like, wait, God loves me, but I'm still suffering. If God loves me, why am I, why, why am I still suffering? See, most of us are surprised when and where the suffering comes from. We're surprised by it, and we don't like it. To tell you the truth, let's be honest, we don't think we deserve it. That's part of the problem. We don't think we deserve it. So I don't deserve, I don't deserve to suffer. These other people, I don't know about them, but I don't deserve to suffer. And so we, we get this in our mind that somehow it's unfair and I don't deserve to suffer and someone else. And, and so we have this mental, we have this picture, this, if we will, this theological picture, whether we call it that or not, that is not correct. And what Peter's saying is I need to change the way you're thinking. I need to change the way you're thinking. Suffering, suffering is a part of our existence, but it doesn't have to be the thing that cripples us. It doesn't have to be the thing that takes us down, that makes us bitter and angry. It doesn't have to ruin our lives because if we understand why we suffer and we understand that God can use that suffering in our lives to strengthen us and help us become the person he's created us to be and help us become more like his son, Jesus Christ. And suffering... Because some becomes something that can be useful in my life, not only for myself, but for the people around me. And Peter's not the only one who thinks this. Paul echoes it as well in Romans chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, where he writes this. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory, listen to these words, in our sufferings. Because we know, okay, what do we know? This is what we know as Christians. Although on the outside, they don't know this, okay? They don't have the same understanding. And so you suffer sometimes in just misery, and there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no hope behind it. There's no significance behind it. just annoying. But what does he say? He says, 
Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Our suffering deepens our character and brings us hope. And you say, well, my gosh, I don't think it's worth that. I don't, I don't need my character built. You don't understand what I'm going through. I do. Listen, let me say this again. I understand, but I want you to use your apologetic mind for just a moment. You are going to suffer. Whether, whether you deny God or you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are going to suffer. What I'm saying to you is that God can use the suffering in our lives, the trials that we go through, the difficulties, to build our character, to strengthen us as people, be, help us become more like his son, Jesus Christ, and ultimately in this world and in the next, give us hope. There's a reason for it. So we can have hope in our difficulties. Number two, our suffering and our trials bring us closer to Christ. First Peter chapter four, verses 13 and 14 says, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of the glory of God rests on you. I've said this before, but this is this one. Those two verses make my point. Whatever the world thinks is basically turned upside down by the Bible, the way we think. We, we have a sinful nature, okay? And the world thinks according to the sinful nature and can't help but to continue to say, the world's unfair, this is not, I don't understand, and, and carry on. And what Peter is saying, what the Bible is saying is, yes, these things are struggles, but listen, we can turn them all the way around. Listen to the words he's using there. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. That you may be overjoyed with the glory when the glory, his glory is revealed. And that you're blessed when you suffer in the name of Jesus Christ. Blessed, overjoyed, I mean glory. Look at that. Instead of, would, would those be the words that the world would use for their suffering? It would not. Some of the greatest hymns you've ever sang in your entire life came from people who suffered. Almost all of them. I can't say all because I don't know the story for every one of them. But every one of them I ever read the background story comes from people who've gone through intense suffering and they write songs that you and I stand up and give us goosebumps to sing. But they come. Poems, songs, even modern songs are written from a heart sometimes of challenge and difficulty. Some of the greatest things that ever happened in the, in, the, in, from, in the human race came from the human spirit of difficulty and challenges. When we allow God to work through our lives, God blesses us in three ways when we suffer for him. Number one is participation. We share in the suffering of Christ. You, when you ask Christ to come into your life, you aligned yourself with Jesus Christ and you became worthy to share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. The second is impartation, that we, that we basically we experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills us, gives us strength, gives us wisdom, gives us understanding, gives us discernment, helps us, under, helps us to process through why we're, going, what we're do, why we're going through what we're going through, and then gives us the strength, internal strength to get through it. And not only that, but to use that suffering and difficulty in the lives of other people to help them get through their suffering. And then you have exaltation. We rejoice when we finally and ultimately see Jesus Christ in heaven. 
So we have exaltation. We can rejoice in what we go through, knowing that one day we have hope that we will stand before God and we will rejoice when we see Jesus Christ. I think we need to understand something as we go through suffering. Our culture doesn't dislike Jesus. They hate him. They hate the name Jesus. God, okay. I, I, I like, you know, I believe in God. You know, James says, good, even the demons believe that and shudder, okay? Well, people say, I believe in God. No one, no one gets offended by that. No one cares. Oh, yeah, I believe in God, too. I celebrate Christmas and blah, 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 all right? But there's a difference between that when you say God in general and generically and you say being a follower of Jesus Christ. See, the thing is, they don't particularly hate us. They hate Christ in us. When, you get, when you're persecuted, it's them hating Christ in you. You're not being persecuted. They're persecuting Christ in you. It's when you're sanctified and set apart and you step up and you stand up for your faith and you say, wait a second, I don't agree with that in a classroom. Wait a second, I can't go along with that at work. That's immoral, it's unethical, it's illegal. I won't do it because my faith tells me they're not going to persecute you for you. They're going to persecute you, you because of Christ, Christ in you. They're persecuting Christ in you. You can feel, you can rejoice that you have been counted worthy to suffer for Jesus Christ because they're, they're persecuting Christ in you. The world will accept Christians, just understand this, who go along with, okay, who accept, who submit to its rules. The world never really attacks carnal or worldly Christians. The world will attack a follower of Jesus Christ. They don't attack people who go along with them. They attack people who are truly followers of Jesus Christ. Persecution, my friends, is a sign that you are sanctified. We've talked about this in the last few weeks. You are set apart. Persecution, suffering, difficulty is a sign to you that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that you have been sanctified, that you have been set apart. Do you see the word? We talk about participation. You see the word participation? Look at verse 13. It says that we participate. That is the verb form of the Greek word koinonia, which means fellowship. Fellowship, koinonia, is usually defined, okay, or interpreted as fellowship. So we are, we fellowship with one another. When we think about fellowship, when I say koinonia, most older Christians will think, yeah, I know what koinonia means. I'm not a Greek expert, but koinonia, yeah, means fellowship. And we have positive thoughts about fellowship because we think about connecting with friends and with family and we rejoice and we 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 think about the love that we have together as the church when we have koinonia and we have fellowship we're going to go to the to the uh to the event afterward and you know the end of summer bash and we're going to coin it we have koinonia we're going to fellowship but then something happens here peter speaks of having fellowship with the sufferings of christ that we would have fellowship in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. We, have, we are connected. We are bonded to Jesus Christ. And Peter is saying, he's using this word koinonia as fellowship in the suffering of Jesus Christ. Count yourself. You're being counted. You should rejoice because you're being counted worthy to be in, in a situation where you are suffering for Jesus Christ. Maybe it's your business. Maybe because you're a Christian business person, you hold certain values and people are going to reject those values if they don't like you because they don't like the fact that you're a Christian, so it's hurting your business, but you're not going to change that because you are going to have fellowship with Jesus Christ in that suffering. You're not going to change who you are because of the pressure that someone else puts on you. People will often ask me, well, how do we get closer to God? And how do I get closer to Christ? And I could tell you all kinds of ways to do it. But, but, but Peter here wants us to understand that nothing moves us closer to Jesus Christ than when we go through trials. Simple as that. 
nothing will bring you closer to Jesus Christ, will bring you closer to God, will teach you things that you couldn't have possibly learned unless that you, you have gone through that trial. And if I, if I could, I had the time, I could point my finger at three or four people I'm thinking of right now, have you come up on stage and give a testimony and make my point 100% in the things that you've struggled through in the last weeks, months, years. And you would say, you're exactly right. I never would have understood that, that spiritual lesson. I never would have understood that if I didn't go through the trial that I went through. You know, it's often, it's often when we find ourselves at the end of our spiritual or emotional rope that we get closest to God. Otherwise, it's kind of like, ah, oh, I can pull myself my own bootstraps. I can do this. But when we get to the end of our, sp- our spiritual or emotional rope, that's when we get close. To, we really, really draw close to God. When I was a young Christian, someone gave me that poem, uh, Footprints in the Sand. You all know, a lot, a lot of you know what I'm talking about. If you're an older Christian, you'll understand. There's a, there's a little poem that says Footprints in the Sand. And I got that, I put it on my wall, and I read it. And the whole idea is that there's two footprints in the sand. And, you, and, and it, it basically talks about there's a point where there's only one set of footprints. And you say, well, Lord, this was a time in my life where I was going through such a difficult time. I didn't know what to do. I was struggling. And it, sh- it seems, Lord, that you left me alone. There's only one set of footprints. And God says, wait, time out. Wait a second. When there's only one set of footprints, that's where I was carrying you on my back, basically. They were my footprints. Yours are the ones that are missing, not mine. You see, we have a God. This is what the world doesn't have. When we go through struggles and suffering, we have a God who says, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. No matter what you go through, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to experience. God is not an outside observer of our pain, but a participant with us in our pain. Jesus Christ understands what we're going through because he lived on this earth and experienced everything that we experience. But you ever notice something? We don't get that sometimes until the trial is over. We, don't, we, don't, we get it on the back end. What Peter's saying is, I want you to get it on the front end because you can learn so much more. If you understand what I'm talking about here this morning, you can learn so much more if you learn this on the front end, if you understand it on the front end, than if you just kind of pick it up on the back end. Oh, yeah, I can't believe how God used that to change my whole life. Can you imagine what you would have learned and experienced if you were able to connect with Christ in a deep, intimate way while you were going through that difficult time. God wants us to use the challenging times in our lives to move us forward in our spiritual journey and also to connect us into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. And again, you could be sitting here going, That's not a, those aren't good enough reasons why I should have to go through whatever. Again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat myself, all right? You're going to suffer Anyway, no one is going to avoid it. No one in this room can avoid trials and difficulty and suffering and pain and hardship. You can't. And what I'm saying to you is the Bible gives us a clear and concise way. It gives us clear understanding of how we can use the challenges that we face in our lives, why we suffer, how we handle it when we go through it, and what we benefit from it at the end. The Bible gives us clear understanding of that. Without God, you're moseying through the world, suffering on your own for no purpose whatsoever. You live, you suffer, you die. That's it. 
And all I'm saying is that with God, there's a reason, there's a purpose for our suffering, and God uses that to help us move, to move us forward in our spiritual journey, to help us grow and mature in our faith, in our physical, emotional, and spiritual lives, and helps us bring us closer to Christ. Number three, our suffering and trials lead us to use self-examination. Self-examination. Let me read you 1 Peter 4, 15 through 18. Again, it says, If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? We have a tendency to bring trouble into our own lives. We as human beings have this incredible tendency. We don't like it. We don't like suffering. We don't like trials. We don't like difficulties. But we have a tendency to bring it into our own lives. So much of our suffering is inflicted upon ourselves. But then we want to blame other people, right? We want to blame other people for our suffering and make excuses for our poor choices. This is part of what Peter's saying here, okay? Part of what he's saying, you, you make these choices. Verse 15 basically says, if you do wrong, if you're choosing to do wrong, prepare to suffer. You're choosing to bring suffering into your own life. One of the, I think one of the greatest, I'm going to use the word gift. I think one of the greatest gifts that God can give any of us is the ability to have self-reflection, to self-examine, to be able to examine yourself to see your own sins, to see your own personality flaws, to see your own hang-ups, your own bad habits, your, the ability for you to recognize someone else's. It is so easy for me to see your hang-ups, your sins, your bad habits, your personality flaws. It is a totally different thing for me to see mine, reflect on my own, have self-reflection, self-examination. It is the greatest. Let me tell you, I'm saying this from me to you. It is one of the greatest gifts you will ever have in your entire life if you can examine yourself, if you can reflect on yourself. I have watched people all my life talk about other people and say, this person, they do this and this and this, and it's just so annoying. And the reason they do it is because of their past and this and this and this. And the exact same person is doing the exact same thing and can't see it in themselves. There might be a little teeny nuance in it, but not much, but they can see it in everybody else. They can't see it in themselves. And I'm telling you, one of the greatest things that God could give you is the gift of self-examination. Here, Peter points out four four categories of sinful behavior. And he says, he says the first three are like, they all go together, murderers, thieves, okay, criminals. And everybody's like, I'm not any of those things, kind of. You know what I mean? If you, if you just break it down. You're not, no, no murderers, thieves, or criminals, right? So you're thinking, oh, I, I got to pray safe. Then he says, or even a meddler. Now, they, that meddler does go, I, don't, I can't get into all the detail, but it does, it does go along with, you know, murders and thieves and criminals. But he, he says meddlers. And when I first read that, I said, this doesn't really fit in with the, with the other three. The word meddler means one who gets involved in the affairs of others when they have no business being there. Okay, they have no business in the affairs of other people in this in this situation. They butt in and they make things worse. Don't poke anybody next to you. All right. Just think. Now, I want to take the word meddler out for a second. And I want you, if you can, to to take your own sin, your own your own personality. Let's say your personality flaw. 
I think a meddler is sinful, but it's also a personality flaw in some people's lives. They just can't overcome it. They have to meddle in everybody else's business. Put whatever it is for you in that same category. If you're a meddler, you're going to bring suffering upon yourself. See, if you suffer being a meddler, Peter, Peter's saying, stop complaining. Stop complaining about the suffering in your life you inflicted upon yourself. So stop complaining about it. And if, you're, if you are being a meddler or whatever word you choose to put in place of that, if Jeff Greer is being whatever it is, I'm to this or I'm to that, whatever is causing me to have relationship issues with my, with my family or with my friends, with my church, with the, instead of blaming everyone else, I need to look at myself and deal with the issue in my own life that causes the suffering and change it. That's what Peter's saying. Stop whining and complaining about your suffering and your trials when you're inflicting it upon yourself. And then he changes to a different category. He continues, but if you suffer as a Christian, okay, in the Roman Empire in the first century, they used Caesar worship as a way to unify the countries, okay, the nations that they basically conquered. They would have everyone together would all worship Caesar, and that would draw them all in one unified group. The problem is that Christians would not submit to Caesar as a god. They wanted to worship Caesar as a god. The early believers said, we are not worshiping Caesar as a god. We will not say Caesar is Lord. We will not do that. We will not submit. We will, we will, we will, we will go to death. We will go to the death before we say Caesar is Lord because they remembered Daniel chapter 3 verses 16 through 18 which says this Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to the king King Nebuchadnezzar we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter if we are thrown into the blazing furnace the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and we will be delivered from your majesty's hand but even if he does not we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. We will not go along regardless of what you do to us. We will die before we submit. We will die before we go along. We are sanctified. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We are set apart for God. And no matter what you do to us, it doesn't matter. We are not going along. This is why the early church was persecuted it came down to Caesar or Christ. It came down to you worship Caesar or Christ. And if you think those days are over, you're making a terrible mistake. They are not over. Things just are sick. They just keep coming around. If you think that you're not going to be put in a situation where you're not going to have to deal with this, you're making a terrible mistake. Laws may soon be passed where this culture says, here is what we deem acceptable behavior in our culture. And if you disagree with us, we are going to convict you of a hate crime. There are churches and Christian organizations that are, the military has deemed them hate groups. And these are groups that you support financially, that you are a part of maybe, that you've listened to all of your lives. They have now become hate groups. So what happens when the IRS begins to investigate you because you don't go along with? And if you, I mean, if, unless, you're, unless you're on some island somewhere, I'm using examples that are real, okay? Real. The IRS investigating people they don't agree with. 
okay, that they deem to be too conservative or they deem to be whatever else, and they'll use their power to persecute you for not going along with what they say, and they will call you haters and everything else. See, what happens when they start to target you because of your faith? What are you going to do? Peter has a clear answer. He says, do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed. There's a lot more that goes along with this. It says, do not be ashamed. Remember last week I said that I don't just want to read you the words on the, the page of what Peter is saying. I don't want to read. I want, I want to understand. I want to help you understand. I want to understand better. Maybe what Peter was feeling, his emotions, you know what I mean? The passion. I want you to understand the passion with which he speaks, the emotions with which he speaks. He's passionate about this. He's saying, you know, consider it pure joy. He's, he's, he's talking to us with an intensity. Why do you think he's so intense? See, this is just opinion, okay? But I think, that, I think this is personal for him. I want you to think with me for a second. I want you to go back to the night that Jesus was arrested. Jesus is arrested, okay? And Peter's there. And Peter is sitting around a fire with a bunch of other people on a dark night. And some young girl says to him, hey, hey, you, aren't you one of his followers? Aren't you one of his disciples? She points at him. And, he, you know, he's caught, you know, off guard there. And so he reacts immediately. Oh, no, no, not me. I don't know what you're talking about. She says it three times. He denies Christ three times. And then the rooster crows. And I keep thinking about, hmm, Peter knew all about a feeling, uh, he knew all about feeling a sense of shame because he never forgot the night he denied Christ. He never forgot that night, so that was a part of who he was. Peter, who, if again, if you if you've read your Bible more and you understand Peter, Peter was a fighter. Peter ran from a fight. He, he ran he ran from a fight. See, the word ashamed, the word ashamed means to dishonor. It means to dishonor. Peter is saying, when you suffer, when you go through suffering, don't dishonor, don't shame, don't dishonor the name of Jesus Christ. As you go through your trials and as you go through your suffering, don't dishonor the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, praise God that you are counted worthy to suffer for his name. Praise God that you, are, you, you, are, you, are been, you have been counted worthy. If you're suffering for Christ, you have been counted worthy to suffer for his name. If God calls us to walk the hard road, then walk with your head high. If Jesus puts his cross on your back, don't be ashamed to carry the cross. You have been counted worthy by God. You have been counted worthy by Jesus Christ to carry the cross to stand for his name. So Peter says, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Number four, trials and suffering teach us a new way to trust God. A new way to trust God. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, it says, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their, to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Continue to do good. See, when trouble comes... And it always will, right? You're not, you don't have the ability all the time to, to overcome or to change your circumstances. Because you don't always inflict that suffering upon yourself. You're not in control of your circumstances all the time. Things, physical things happen to you. Things happen to you that are not of your, you, you did not cause them to happen. 
You didn't cause the thing to happen, so you're not in no control of your circumstances. And the problem is we don't have this magic pixie stick or something that will just cause, uh, have, give us the ability to create high-paying jobs or to make people like us or to stop abuse or, you know, or, or just to, to help people who are in need or you know, just that maybe heal, to heal the people that are sick around us. We don't have some magic dust that we can just sprinkle around and make all these things just go away. Feed all the people who are starving in the world. Heal all the people who are going through difficulty in the world, physically, emotionally, or spiritually. See, when trouble comes, we don't have that ability to do that sometimes. But there's one thing that we do have. This is one thing. We, we cannot control our circumstances all the time. But there's one thing that we do have. And Peter brings it up. He shows us it in verse 19. And he says, in the midst of our troubles, we can commit ourselves to our faithful creator. In the midst of all that we're going through, all the challenge that we're going through, we can commit ourselves to our faithful creator. The word commit there is a banking term. It means to make a deposit. It's a deposit. Make a deposit into an account. We need to deposit our lives into God's care. That's what he's saying. You and I need to deposit our lives. We need to give over our lives and all that we're going through, not carry it ourselves. Don't take on the burden of all the suffering on your own. You can't do it. No one's capable of doing it. I've said this a hundred times. I'm going to say it again. When that people run out and say, oh, God won't give you more than you can handle. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that. Nowhere nowhere and it's offensive to people who have lost people close to them who are going through suffering when they have a disease or some other kinds of thing and it's offensive to say well god won't give you more than you can handle it's not true god won't give you more than he can handle god won't give you more than he can carry you through god won't give you more than he can sustain you he will give you what you need to get through whatever you face in this life and we need to understand that. And we need to commit ourselves. We need that, that whole idea of committing yourself um, to the Lord, depositing your life into his care. I want you to bow your heads with me. I want you to just bow your heads with me as we close here. Listen, when life, when life begins to crumble all around you, nothing is more important than committing yourself to your faithful creator. Nothing. You can't control everything else, but you can control that. You have the ability to commit yourself to your faithful creator, the one who loves you, the one who promises to take care of you, the one who promises I will never leave you or forsake you. So instead of trying to figure out how to solve all your problems on your own, you need to say, Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. I can't do it alone. I just can't do it alone. Let your will be done in my life, whatever it takes Whatever it costs, let your will be done in my life. When we begin to pray like that, when we have that kind of attitude in our hearts, God will hear us from heaven. And, and, and whether or not our circumstances change on the outside becomes sometimes they don't. Regardless of what we do, our circumstances do not change on the outside. Regardless if they change on the outside, God can change us from the inside. He can change our eternal perspective. He can change the way we see things, the way we apply things to our lives and the lives of others. God can change us from the inside. And then regardless of our circumstances, 
we realize that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We realize that all things do work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things, and that includes all the difficult things, all the bad things, all the challenging things, all the trials, all the suffering, God will work for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. My friends, this will never happen if we do not fix our eyes on the cross. If we don't fix our eyes in him, we will never see clearly. We will never truly understand our struggles from an eternal perspective. We need to keep our eyes fixed on him. We are all going to face suffering and trials in our lives. That is just a fact. And it is only through having our eyes focused on the author and perfecter of our faith that we can use the trials and the difficulties that we face in our lives to grow in our faith, to strengthen us, to reach out and impact the lives of others and to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Apart from the cross, the idea of rejoicing in our suffering makes absolutely no sense. Apart from the cross, suffering is meaningless But with Jesus Christ in our lives, our trials, our suffering, our difficulty can be used of God to do things in us we never thought imaginable, to invest in the lives of others and share things with them that we never thought we'd be able to share. Because we're focused on him. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We pray that you would use us. God, these are difficult words. This series has been challenging, but we live in a challenging world. We live in a world filled with suffering and trials and difficulties. But we know with you, if we hold your hand, you will walk us through it. And if necessary, you'll carry us. In Jesus' name precious and holy name. We pray all these things. Amen. Have a great morning. We'll see you this afternoon.